Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From the Hollywood Hills to your ear holes, this is True Crime Deadline. I'm Matt Johnson, boots on the ground reporter and host of True Crime Deadline, the podcast that gives you a unique reporter's point of view from the yellow crime scene tape to the gavel in the courtroom. We paint a picture on True Crime Deadline with murder, mystery, and missing persons cases. My contacts grant you access to those case files with disturbing new details and exclusive interviews. Details might have you thinking, no, that didn't happen. They didn't do that, did they? And then there's the Oprah-inspired Where Are They Now? Binge these 30-minute Crime Bite episodes where you get your podcasts. Buckle up, investigators. You're on deadline. For more information about the podcast, visit truecrimedeadline.com. Until next time. According to the FBI, there were nearly 4,000 bank robberies and burglaries in the United States in the last year alone. However, despite this frequency, it's very rare that would-be thieves make off with much more than a few thousand dollars before being swiftly apprehended. Now, of course, there are a few exceptions to the rule, and that's what makes them mysteriously listed. Number 10. The Dunbar Armoured Robbery Being one of the largest heists in United States history, this bank robbery ended up being an insider job. The person responsible for this heist was a regional safety manager, Alan Pace. Pace and his accomplices made off with $18.9 million dollars which would be $28.8 million in 2019 money. On September 12, 1997, in Long Beach, California, six men met up at a house party. They seemed to all leave the party for a few hours, only to return by the end of the evening. One of the men, Alan Pace, worked for Dunbar as a regional safety manager. His duties consisted of checking on fire extinguishers and ensuring that other employees of Dunbar Armoured were taking all the necessary safety precautions. Because of this, Pace knew where all of the security cameras were placed, where the security tapes were stored, and how many employees would be working the overnight shift. Pace had the opportunity to take photos of the layout to share with his accomplices, and most importantly, he had the keys to enter and leave the facility as he pleased. 
His five accomplices were all childhood friends of Pace's. They made plans to meet up at the house party and return once they completed the plan to provide the alibi for the evening. And this almost worked. Pace and his friends left the house party, changing into all black clothing and masks. They all had matching radio headsets so they could be in contact with one another at all times. Just after midnight, they entered the Dunbar Armoured Facility through a side door. Once all six men were in the building, they managed to evade all security cameras and waited in the cafeteria. Pace knew that the overnight employees took their dinner break at 12.30am in the cafeteria. As the employees took their break, they were held hostage by the criminals. They were told to lie face down and had their wrists and ankles bound tightly with duct tape. This would leave only a few security guards near the vault area to contend with. This particular vault was left open on Friday nights due to the large volume of money that would be moved. The men rushed the few remaining guards and managed to subdue them before they could trigger off any alarms. All they needed to do at that point is get through several simple padlocks on mental cages where the cash was stored. With a pair of bolt cutters they had brought with them, they managed to easily snap off the padlocks, giving them access to the $18.9 million in cash. Because of his job, Pace knew which bags would carry the highest denominations and had non-sequential bills in them. Most of the bags held $20 bills which were being readied for ATM usage. The criminals loaded the bags onto metal carts and took these carts to the parking area, where a U-Haul truck, which was hired by one of Pace's accomplices, was waiting. It only took them 30 minutes to load the cash into the rental truck. Before leaving, Pace went into the area where the security tapes were being recorded. He took them and then smashed the cameras on his way out. The men then went to the apartment of one of the criminals to change back into their party clothes and then went back to the house party in Long Beach, acting like nothing had happened. The investigators quickly came to the conclusion that this must have been an inside job. This crime could not have been pulled off by someone that didn't have intimate knowledge of the facility's operations. Their initial investigation would even specifically look into Alan Pace, especially when they had learnt that Pace had been fired the day before the robbery for allegedly tampering with company vehicles. At this stage, investigators couldn't find anything that could tie him to the crime. Plus, he had a fairly strong alibi. However, investigators did find a crucial piece of evidence in the parking lot. They found a plastic towel-like lens that did not match the company vehicles. This lens was sent to the FBI forensic lab in Washington to be analysed. It was determined it came from a 14-foot U-Haul truck, but this alone would not be enough information to identify the robbers. 
Pace and his accomplices did a good job of hiding their newfound wealth. The money was laundered into phony businesses and used in property deals. It would be one of these property deals that would be their undoing. One of Pace's accomplices, Eugene Lamar Hill, gave a real estate broker a sizable amount in cash. And this cash was still wrapped in the original cash straps from the robbery. Sensing this was unusual and knowing about the robbery, the broker called this through to the police. When they arrived to arrest Hill, they found more of the cash with the same wrappers. Hall quickly folded on his accomplices and investigators now knew Alan Pace was a mastermind behind the heist. Pace knew the overnight employers took their dinner break at 12.30am in the cafeteria. After a two-year investigation, the trial would last three weeks. Alan Pace would insist that one of his friends was setting him up because Pace was having an affair with his wife. He stated that he didn't plan or take part in any aspect of the robbery. However, four of his friends would actually testify against him and after three days of deliberations, a jury would find Alan Pace guilty. He was sentenced to 24 years and ordered to pay back the money that was stolen. He was required to serve at least 18 years of his sentence before he'll be eligible for parole. To date, only $5 million of the stolen money has been recovered. Investigators believe some of the money may have been lost in gambling, but they've also theorised that as much as $10 million could be stashed somewhere else waiting for the men to walk free from prison. Number 9. The Brinks Matt Warehouse Robbery it was on November 26, 1983, that six armed men broke into the Brinks Matt Warehouse at Heathrow Airport, England, expecting to find £3 million. Instead, what they would find was several gold bullions, diamonds and cash, worth a total of £26 million, or about £79 million in 2019 money. At the time, the company's security guard was Anthony Black, and he provided the inside information to help pull off the job. The gang had been stalking at the warehouse for 18 months before the robbery. They would ultimately abort six attempts in the six weeks leading up to the robbery. Black allowed the other five men, who were wearing Halloween masks and Navy chauffeurs' costumes, he allowed them to gain entry into the warehouse. Buck allowed them to pass through at least three locked doors to reach the second floor where the crime took place. Once inside, they poured petrol over staff and threatened them with a lit match if they did not reveal the combination numbers of the vault. Their original plan involved just £3 million in cash that they knew was under the lock and key of the warehouse. But that changed once they discovered the additional gold bullions and the diamonds. One of the robbers, Spex O'Keefe, he went to prison on an unrelated charge. 
He left his share of money with the other members of the gang under the provision if they did not return the money to him, he would snitch. However, Speck's involvement caused the other gang members to panic and they sent a hitman to kill him. He survived the hit, but all trust was gone. He survived the hit, but all trust was gone. He cut a deal with the investigators, and much of the remaining gang involved has since been convicted. Much of the three and a half tons of stolen gold has never been recovered. Much of the three and a half tons of stolen gold have never been recovered as well as four other robbers who have never been convicted. In 1996, about half of the gold, the portion which would have been smelted, was thought to have made its way back into the legitimate gold market, including the reserves of the true owner, Johnson Matthew. According to the BBC, some have claimed that anyone wearing gold jewellery bought in the United Kingdom after 1983 is probably wearing gold stolen from the Brinks Matt Warehouse robbery. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Employees of the North Malabar Grumman Bank in Chalimbara, India, came to work the morning of New Year's Day 2008 to discover a giant hole carved into the middle of the vault room floor in 8 million rupees, or about $1.8 million, missing. The bandits had cut their way through the floor from a space below the bank that they had rented under aliases under the pretense of building a restaurant. They even filled the space with furniture and construction materials and hung up a sign saying it was under renovation and would reopen on January 8, 2008. The gang would also plant evidence in the restaurant that gave investigators the impression they were supporters of Naxalism, which was the communist guerrilla movement that was active in India at the time. The thieves left numerous other false clues to try and throw off investigators. Some of the stolen gold was found abandoned in a hotel room in Hyderabad, which is over 700 miles or 450 kilometres away from the bank. The thieves also made phone calls from cities all over the country to confuse investigators. This proved their undoing, though. While investigating these phone calls, police found a secret number that the robbers were using to communicate, and they were able to trace this to a house where they were hiding out. Almost two months after the robbery, on February 28th, the robbers confessed to their crime and most of the money was recovered. Three of the men received ten years in prison, while a fourth was sentenced to eight. Number 7. 
the 300 million yen robbery. On the morning of December 10th, 1968, four bank employees of the Nippon Trust Bank were given responsibility to transport almost 300 million yen, or about $5.6 million, in 2019 money. This money was for bonuses of the bank employees for the Christmas period. While en route, they were stopped by a uniformed police officer on a motorcycle who informed the men that the branch manager's house had been bombed and there had been another threat on the truck they were driving. The bank employees exited the truck while it was being checked for explosives. Moments later, smoke came from underneath the truck and the officer shouted that there were explosives that were going to detonate. While the bank employees ran to safety, the so-called police officer jumped into the van and drove away with the money. It was later determined that there was part truth to this story. The bank manager was receiving threats that were rumoured to contain demands for the 300 million yen. The fire under the car was later revealed to be a warning flare. A total of 120 pieces of evidence was found at the crime scene, including a motorcycle that was painted white to resemble a police vehicle. It was determined that many of these pieces of evidence were left to confuse investigators. The investigation itself was huge, with 170,000 officers looking into 110,000 suspects. The prime suspect at the time was a 19-year-old man who was the son of a local police officer, and this police officer was known to ride a motorcycle. However, this man died of potassium cyanide poisoning just five days after the robbery. He had no alibi for the time of the robbery, but since the money was not found after his death, he was ultimately cleared of any involvement. Almost seven years after the robbery, one of the prime suspect's friends was arrested on an unrelated charge with a large sum of money. He could never provide a reasonable explanation as to why he had so much money, but investigators were never able to connect it with the robbery. Another suspect was a 26-year-old man who was arrested on an unrelated charge soon after the robbery. He was found to be a match to the composite sketch of the fake police officer. He was eventually released as he had an alibi for the time of the robbery. He was sitting an exam during that morning. In 1998, a Japanese magazine claimed to have solved the crime. It claimed that they had found the alleged thief, 55-year-old Yujai Ogato. It claimed that they had found the alleged thief, 55-year-old Yuji Ogato. In 1968, Ogato supposedly gave a 500-yen note to a 10-year-old boy for good luck. He told the boy that he and an accomplice were able to sneak the money past the police blocks using a light truck transporting glass panes. Soon afterwards, they fled to opposite ends of the country. In 
Now, how valid this story is has come into question by a number of other newspapers citing lack of evidence. The man's own wife has called him a quote-unquote windbag who likes to make up stories. A number of other family members also remember the men attempting to borrow money from them shortly after the robbery. The statute of limitations for criminal charges passed in 1975 and liability for civil damages in 1988. Were the robber or robbers to come forward today and legally sell their story, they would face no charges for their crimes. Number 6. The Northern Bank Robbery With a few days before Christmas, a team of robbers posing as policemen made their way into the homes of two of the bank branch managers of the Northern Bank in Belfast. The managers and their families were held at gunpoint. This happened the night before the heist occurred and would become the largest bank heist in United Kingdom history. The next day, as the families remained under threat, the officials of the Northern Bank were instructed to head to work as normal. They were told to let the robbers in at the end of the shift. Once they got into place, the thieves released both the families unharmed. They would ultimately make away with £26.5 million. This would force the Northern Bank to replace and reissue banknotes with different colours and logos. Both the Irish and the UK governments blamed the heist on the Irish Republican Army, but they denied any involvement. Many have theorised that the whole thing was the work of the provisional IRA, or Sen Fin, but as of today, the crime remains unsolved. Number 5. The Great Train Robbery In the early hours of August 8, 1963, the operation orchestrated to intercept a Royal Mail train full of high-value packages and would involve 16 robbers wearing knitted masks. They stopped the train called the Night Flyer, which was en route from Glasgow to London, The plan was to rig the trainside signals to stop the train in a remote location. It was here that the conductor was overpowered and the thieves then attacked the staff in the high-value carriage and collected their loot. Though the gang did not use any firearms, the conductor, a man named Jack Mills, he fought back and was beaten over the head with a metal bar his injuries being so severe that it would end his career. The men in the other parts of the train didn't even realise that the heist had taken place until they found the engine was missing as well as two carriages. 120 of the 128 mailbags were removed and the robbers made off with £2.6 million, or the equivalent of £76 million in today's money. Even though most of the gang left the country soon after the robbery, they were eventually tracked down and sentenced to long terms in prison. 
The only man connected with the robbery to get away clean was a career criminal known only as a useless man. To this day, he has never been publicly identified. Number 4. The Securitalis Depot Robbery This robbery remains one of the largest cash robberies in British history and was executed on February 21, 2006 in Kent, England, lasting several hours. It began when a number of men abducted and threatened the family of the manager of the Securitalis Cash Management Depot. Fourteen employees from the depot were also tied up and threatened. The bank manager would be forced to open the cash cage. From there, the criminals were able to steal £53.1 million in banknotes or around £92.8 million in 2019 money. However, they left behind almost £154 million only because they simply could not fit any more cash bags into their truck. Once the robbers had their money, they forced the hostages into the cash cages. Most of the gang was later caught and convicted within two years, receiving sentences of between 15 and 25 years. However, at least one man is thought to be living in the West Indies with his share of the loot. Number 3. The Knightsbridge Security Deposit Robbery This robbery was planned by an Italian playboy and infamous career criminal, Valerino Vissi, and took place on July 12, 1987 in Knightsbridge, England. The mastermind was already implicated in up to 50 different bank robberies during his lifetime, The plan of this robbery was simple. After entering the Central Bank of Iraq during business hours under the guise of opening a safety deposit box, Visi and his armed accomplice began to threaten the manager and staff in submission with handguns. After they gained full control of the bank, Visi called for backup and the rest of his gang came to help him open as many of the security boxes as possible. After they cleared out the safe of its contents and when they left, it was with approximately £60 million, or at least £200 in today's money. With the robbery a complete success, Vissi enjoyed a small period of time with the freedom of spending his millions. He then fled to South America but was later captured when he returned to London to pick up his Ferrari. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison, but was released on day release in 2000. In April of that year, he was killed during a gunfight between Vissi, an accomplice, and the police. Number 2 the South American underground robberies. In 2005 in Brazil, 
Thieves rented a commercial property in Brazil, posing as landscapers. Then the gang behind the robbery spent almost three months digging a 256-foot tunnel into position under the bank. This tunnel was equipped with wooden panel walls and electric lighting. It led from a house to Banco Central. They took $79.1 million over the weekend, so their crime was not discovered until the bank opened Monday, giving the thieves ample time to make their getaway. More than 40 arrests were made in this crime, including the criminal mastermind, Antonia D. Rahubbard, but only $8 million was ever recovered. Eventually, the thieves were caught and brought to justice, although this would be the start of a trend of robbing banks via underground tunnels. That same year, on January 13, 2006, two men walked into the Banco Rio in Argentina. They would take all 20 staff and customers hostage for the duration of their heist. After an alarm was detonated, 200 police officers would surround the bank within minutes. Strangely, the two thieves would offer to exchange four of the hostages for soda and pizza, which they shared with the remaining 16 hostages. They would even hold an impromptu birthday party for one of the hostages, complete with a serenade of happy birthday. After a seven-hour standoff, police raided the building, only to find the two thieves gone, along with $8 million of money, gold and diamonds, leaving a note stating that they had quote-unquote stolen money, not love. Police would later find an iron lid covering a hole in the basement of the bank that was bolted from underneath. When this lid was removed they found a tunnel which would have allowed the thieves to escape from the bank into the sewers and out via a local river. And then on New Year's Eve 2010, a group of robbers entered the Banco Provincia in Buenos Aires through a 30-metre or 100-foot tunnel they had dug. This tunnel included lights and a ventilation system. When entering the bank, the robbers had set off an alarm But when the police arrived at the bank, the doors were locked and they didn't investigate any further. It wouldn't be until days later, when the bank reopened after the holiday period, that anyone would realise the robbery had actually taken place. Number 1. The Central Bank of Iraq Robbery The biggest bank robbery in the world involves more money than the rest that I have mentioned today combined. It all started on the day before the United States began bombing Iraq, on March 18, 2003. At around 4am, almost $1 billion was stolen from the Central Bank of Iraq. During the course of several robberies, the criminals were wearing no masks or anything to hide their identity. They used no guns and held no hostages. What made this heist possible was a note signed by Saddam Hussein. 
He had his son Husay withdraw the money, which included boxes of $100 bills stamped with a seal identifying them as security money. It took over five hours to load the money onto the trucks. Husay basically walked into the bank and said, My dad needs this, and they gave him the money. Although the money wasn't, Cusay would later be killed by the United States military in the midst of a fight. What would you like to see next Mysteriously Listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. To find out what inspired us this episode, our favourite podcast, if you wish to learn more about the cases we discussed today and to listen to each episode, please visit mysteriouslylisted.com. If you like what you heard today, we would love your support by sharing on your social media of choice. You can also help the show if you could rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Audio production, research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.